and good morning and welcome to Sports Plus with Baker, Big D, and Joe, and our special guests. Um, so I'm Big D. It's 22 degrees here in Northampton. What's it like, Matt, in uh, sunny Agawam? Oh, well, hey, good morning, everybody. It is, uh, it's sunny, probably about the same. Uh, it was cold this morning. I had to start the car to get the boys to their ninja training class. It was cold, but the sun is shining. Happy to be here. And Matt, uh, 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 Joe, out on the uh, left coast, what's going on there? Uh, well, weather-wise, they're standard wet, spring, warmish. Um, no, no revolution, no riots this week. Seems so you, you haven't left the United States yet? No, um, I kind of, we, this is interesting because they just announced another extension, another 30 day extension of the border closure, which, which is a joke because everyone knows it's going to be wait, 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 the border closure with, with Canada, with Canada and officially with Mexico, it's closed to all but essential travel, but right. the definitions to the, the Canadian and Mexican government, the definitions of essential travel are far different. I mean, Mexico has been open for vacation for tourism since the crisis started. And that's part of the reason I, I decided to postpone moving down there because the the situation down there is terrible because they're just allowing any idiot American who wants to go to Cabo for a week to go to Cabo for a week. And they're, you know, they're, you know, the thing is, it's like in Mexico on the, on the Mexican side of our border, we have a 45 foot wall with alligators and on Canada, we don't have anything, not even a little picket fence. You know, well, it's funny because on the very West coast, it's just a beach. There's a beach with, um, with yeah. a, a park and, you know, you can, they have sentries, so you can't, you know, you're not undetected, but you could essentially, swim to Canada and who knows a couple more months of this. I just might see, <laughs> but we have, we have a, a special guest joining us this week. Um, former uh, NCAA basketball player at both UMass and the university of Tampa and currently a traveling COVID nurse, Aisha Rodney. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We, we were talking about what, what your experience has been like. And it's funny what you said was that, it's just been the last couple of months where you feel like the medical community is kind of caught up to what's going on. I would have thought and hoped that that would have been six months ago or eight Dinner. months ago. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, that's frightening to us. That must've been frightening to you too, right? Yeah. So it's, um, it was definitely difficult trying to convey because usually when it's a certain disease process, you can convey to family members. It's mostly our job as nurses to discuss like what treatment plans we're doing, um, how, how it's going to, what the timeline is, maybe how it's going to show improvement one way or the other. Um, we didn't know any of that, um, up until like a good couple months ago, like, in, in all reality of it. Um, and even so like long-term effects, chronic condition wise, we really don't know still. Um, so, and, and it was really difficult in the beginning with communication, especially for some reason, I noticed that, uh, in different areas, like there's a different sort of understanding in the beginning, that was a little tiny bit of understanding when we were first getting our couple of cases down here. 
Um, and then it just got insane where it was like conspiracy theories from family member sides and um, you're killing my family. And you're just like, I, we, we, it's hard to even focus on your job at that point. Um, so, cause you're trying to do your best for them, but you also don't exactly know what's going on. So you're just trying to do everything you possibly can to improve their situation. But people aren't really realizing that. So um, it, there was definitely, it, it was a roller coaster of uh, things when it came to the clinical side, emotional side, um, environmental side. Uh, it was, it was something. This has been a, been a year. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, it's interesting you say that, and we've talked about it on this show. We, as you know, just people, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're seeing all of this play out in real time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the dangerous part of that is it makes us all feel like I'm a medical expert, too. I, I saw somebody tweet something. I saw somebody post something. I know what I'm talking about. And, right. you know, seeing it play out in real time, uh, you know, there's it's I don't even know if I believe it to be like real contradictions. It's as you learn new information, you you create new plans. And, and that's sort of how the science and medical process work. Yeah, um, definitely. Have, were there any instances where you had family members like wanting to see sick family members in the hospital or families demanding a certain type of treatment and you as a medical professional are like, I, I can't do that. Did you have any situations like that? Yeah. So um, when, uh, when we thought that hydrochlorothiazide was like the, um, or hydrochloroquine, sorry, mm -hmm. was the, like the magic pill to help with all of this. Um, that's like one of the more subtle, um, ones when we realized that it actually, um, has, there was an increase in mortality associated with it. Um, after a couple of months, like, I think it was actually a couple of weeks where we noticed that span time. Um, and then we discontinued it. We stopped using it, especially with people with certain heart conditions, um, or arrhythmias of the baseline. Um, so that then we're like, well, people were like, why are you giving them that? Um, or um, when um, when uh, the president at the time was getting a certain treatment, um, they were like, why don't you give my loved one that? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's experimental. It's nothing that's available for the public. Um, he only got it because he's in this certain position. Um, so, and then of course that's not good enough for for some people, it wasn't good enough. And, um, and I get it. It's frustrating. Like when you can't, and it's also that, that sense of control when, when you have, when you're sitting at home and somebody that, um, you love is in the hospital in a compromised position, you can't do anything about it. Um, you want a sense of control. You want to be able to, um, to kind of, yeah, control things because of course it's an uncontrollable, terrible situation. Yeah. Um, so it's only our job like to do everything we possibly can, but at the same time, like kind of make it known that like there's certain things that we just can't do. So um, yeah, definitely got in that situation numerous times. Um, it, it just seems like th this must've been some of the most heart breaking work yeah. to, you know, cause like as I'm in my seventies now, so, you know, I get occasional thoughts of, you know, I'm not guaranteed to live to 80 or anything. And so, you know, I think about, you know, you think about knowing that you're near the end and at least you want your loved one's hands on you. And then they couldn't even do that. Yeah. It just, it broke my heart just to think about that. It was just, just um, terrible. Um, now I have a question for you about, 
infection rates in Florida. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think, I appreciate you using the term, <laughs> the former president. That was great. We used to have to mention that person by name mm -hmm. and it was painful and gross and awful. If I don't have to, uh, I will but, not say it, so. Right, exactly. And it's, it's the way to do it. Um, but I imagine that his treatment was super expensive. So even if someone like myself had been able to access it, I might have needed $100,000 or something like that if it wasn't covered on uh, health insurance. So we had in a couple of situations, yes, his treatment for sure, when it comes to the experimental aspect of it, oh yeah, astronomical. But even some of the minimal basic therapies that we had to do, like not minimal for more of the severe cases. So um, it's a, it's this whole entire disease process. The reason why it threw us through so much of a loop is because it doesn't present like a normal pneumonia. Um, it, it has a rapid onset and usually with pneumonia or, or acute respiratory distress syndrome, which we call ARDS, um, there's a, there's a time period. There's a couple of days where we have to get people like over this little hump where we have to do full support for them. We have to put them on the ventilator sometimes, or well, we have to put them on a ventilator, we have to sedate them, sometimes even paralyze them um, to turn them side to side um, so that we can mobilize their secretions for them, get that out, kind of help with opening up their lungs, let their let us do all the work for them so their body is not working so hard, um, just focusing on healing. And then that's like two to three days sometimes, most of the time. And then they can get off of this bed or turning them side to side and then off of the paralytics, all that, and then we're good to go. Um, COVID's not like that. It takes sometimes weeks. Um, it's not a two to three day period. It, it takes a long time. So having a bed that flips them side to side, not even talking about the medications, not even talking about being on the ventilator, not even talking about the ICU bed. I think an ICU bed just itself is like $10,000 a day. Um, oh. Just the bed itself. Just the bed. Um, wow. Like uh, when right, it, not to mention the emergency room no, care, right, which has right. got to be no. immense. And the medication. Yeah. And, and then there's a specialty bed that turns you side to side. It flips you upside down, turns you side to side. That itself is another, um, like, I think it's like 15,000 a day or something like that. Something crazy. Um, and then the, sometimes we'd have to put them on dialysis. That was a whole nother cost. Sometimes they couldn't tolerate dialysis. So it had to be on a specific machine that's run 24 hours, but slowly. And that it's called the Prismaflex. That is extremely expensive. So even, even though these people like, um, if they need it, uh, that's the whole nother thing when it comes to, I'm, I'm very passionate about this cause too, um, when it comes to healthcare right. and the fact that we have these people right. and we think we, we do some, it's just, we, you know, the, the, um, inequity between, um, uh, different ethnic groups, yeah. uh, was just amplified by this yeah. and it was because we don't have a sane universal health. Yep thing and we're basically the only civilized country that doesn't and it's just we've got to we've got to move yeah, there we had our chance to nominate a, a candidate on the democratic side that was going to do it and there were a number of them that would have so we'll see we'll see what happens biden's got two years to do it i don't i don't see it happening but there was some encouraging stuff in this latest covid relief bill that does seem to indicate mm -hmm. that there may be more of a willingness to move towards a you know medicare for all for lack of a better thing to call it but it's funny matt you said you know this the covid situation has made us all 
it turned us all into medical experts. It's, it's kind of turned us all into guinea pigs too. both, you know, from where Aisha's talking about from the treatment of people who have it to just sort of the social engineering parts of it that we're all dealing with, you know, like, like you guys have had to deal with, with the going back to school, not going back to school. And now the CDC issues a new guideline and all of a sudden kids can be half the distance apart than they were. Right. And that, and, and that's kind of where I see as, as, a teacher, um, and, and I, I personally, I am, kids need to be back in school. Um, you know, the, the remote learning simply isn't working, but it, it's no pun intended here, like a tough pill to swallow when you are told a, a year ago, I can't even go into my school building. It's, it, we don't know enough. I can't even go in there to pick up my, my briefcase, books, and, and whatever. I can't even go in. You know, uh, the beginning of this year, we have to count how many adults are in a building at a time to get ready for the school year. Kids, you know, only half your kids can be in there 10 feet apart, six feet apart, now three feet apart. And so, like I said, that changing as you learn things and as things become readily available to you, um, you know, it, it's still unknown, even though we like to pretend we're experts on it, we still don't know a lot about it. And so all, all we can see are things changing and if it wasn't safe for me to be in at six feet, but now you're telling me it's safe to be in at three feet and more kids. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's hard, but there, there's, there are the taillights at the end of the tunnel. And, hey, at, and least, we'll at, least, at least you guys are vaccinated now. I mean, that's. Well, okay. So here's my situation. It's not quite the same as Matt. So I'm old. I have pre-existing conditions, heart. I've had some cancer, prosthetic cancer. And, um, and so I'm getting my second Pfizer vaccine, April 5th. And they, the, the school told me that I have to come to be in the building on April 5th, um, or else I would have to take an unpaid leave of absence. And, and so I'm fighting that through the FMLA, yeah. but the, but the, um, but the thing is, and, and, and uh, my teacher next door, she's getting it. She's 40, healthy. She's getting her second vaccination like on the 6th, and she's going to be right in the room. And that's fine. But for me, I've got to wait that two right. weeks um, after my second well, vaccination I, um, and, and before I go in. Maybe we can uh, talk about this afterwards, Daryl, not on air. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want to talk about it, that it, unpaid it, stuff. Sure. But um my understanding is I, in my situation, I should wait two weeks after the second vaccine. I think, I think the only, uh, the only thing I can think of why they, why they recommend that for you is technically that's when you're fully, that's when, um, when you have like full protection. So after you get that second dose, um, you have to wait. I, I think it's about the same period of time per, for the two, for the multiple dose ones, um, for the right. Pfizer and the Moderna, um, the Johnson Johnson, I'm not quite sure. I think right. So I, but I'm having Pfizer, yeah. so, but, but so say I'm, I'm 70% covered mm -hmm. right on April 5th. I, honestly, that's not good enough for me because if I get COVID, I'm down. Right. I'm down for the count. So you know? that that's probably the reason why they recommend that um, for you is to to wait those full yeah. two week period of time to make sure that you have like basically almost virtually a hundred percent. So like I think it's like ninety five percent where right. yeah. um, where you're. So that's that's what I'm doing. But um, so so something so th there's been this wonderful uh, cycling down. Mm -hmm. 
in the newspaper every day you see it, that the number of cases and the number of deaths has been going down mm -hmm. 10%, you know, around the country in a consistent manner, mm -hmm. except now I think it's Michigan maybe and Massachusetts, yeah. we're experiencing a different situation. But my question to you is, DeSantis, the uh, <clears throat> uh, governor of, of Florida, uh, is made it a wild west. Uh, and I don't think 100% of people wear masks in Florida. You would be correct. Um, the bars are open. You'd be correct. And so what is their rate? Is it also plateauing or is it still going down? So um, I don't know how much you know about, I mean, this specific area of Florida, Daytona Beach um, is where I'm at. Um, and uh, party, yeah. party, <laughs> um, spring break. I don't, could you explain the shots to, off the belly? What exactly? How, <laughs> the kids how show, Carol, the kids show. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, an area that's catered to tourism. Um, and it's the, the funny thing is that uh, we had that mandatory two week at the in, in March, last March quarantine, um, that really wasn't a quarantine. People still refused to wear masks at that time. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it is the wild west. Um, it's hard going from a state like, uh, cause I was in Portland, Oregon before, um, for, for a month and a half. It's hard going from a state where people take it seriously. Um, and it was frustrating for me as a healthcare provider when you would go get out of work and have like a long day with just treating all these people and you would then, drive on, the, on your drive home, you'd see people just on the beach and walking around and doing your thing. Um, so when it comes to the actual case amount, um, it's been, it was pretty steady for a long time. Like we had a little bit of a dip back down and then it was back up again. Um, I, my, my theory is because people aren't staying here for too long. They're coming down for like a weekend. They're coming down for like a week. Oh, and then so they're the going rates back are home. showing up in other places. Exactly. Interesting. Right uh, now, we're seeing um, a little bit, uh, a lot of people coming from New York, a lot of people coming from Michigan, some people coming from the from the East Coast, um, coming down here. Um, and we just had Bike Week, which is, uh, which they were trying to cancel um, because that would be the same thing to do, um, but they- Don't they tread do on me. <laughs> um, so, and it was the biggest Bike Week Ever. Um, double the amount of people that they normally expected, double the amount of traumas, which um, meaning that like acts, car accidents. And um, so that's just the minimal side of it, not even speaking of the, the two week later COVID side of it. Um, but we've had, um, which is, which sounds um, interesting, but we've, we've seen, we've seen more cases now um, over the last like couple of days, actually, um, where it's just public. Um, so a lot of the times bike week, there's a lot of, there's some older people, but there's a lot of younger people that go out and they drink and, uh, um, and have a good time. And, uh, and we're seeing a lot of like people now testing positive that are stable and able to stay at home. But well, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. Daytona is a, it's a weird place. I, I was there for a couple of months in 1992. I went to umpire, <laughs> professional umpire school in Daytona oh, and worked, nice. worked, a, worked a bunch of spring training, rookie league games. It was an interesting time, but um, a million years ago, but Daytona is kind of the Cabo San Lucas of the U S it brings these people in for events and for a week at a time, but there's all these, there's, you know, bike week. And then there's the Daytona 500, 
then there's spring break. There's all these events that bring massive numbers of people there for a week. And then they, they go home and, and disperse. That's, that's interesting that, that, like you said, the numbers aren't necessarily showing so it's up. It's hard to correlate. It's right. hard to correlate numbers because every, it's a, it's a pit stop. Yeah. And, and I have to say, I don't understand why Massachusetts right now, why we're, um, uh, going up because in Massachusetts, people take it seriously. We wear our masks, we social distance. So it's kind of surprising um, what's going on. I don't know if it's college related. Well, I think part um, of it too is these new variants that are showing up. You know, people don't necessarily, you know, someone who has lingering immunity from having even had an undetectable case of it, you know, not, not having shown any symptoms and just, you know, could sort of move freely about the world for the next few months. Now there's all these other variants showing up and, I, you know, it doesn't seem to be interfering with the vaccination strategy yet. I hope these new things, new versions that keep showing up all stay under that same umbrella because otherwise we're in really big trouble if we have to go through all this all over again. Well, that's, I mean, that's why the basic approach of the, country staying locked down for another month or two at max will because if we keep the rates up the rates are still above last summer even though they've gone down they're still above last summer so there's so much there's so much virus out there that that's what gives it the chance to for new new uh, mutations and the weather's about to so get nice and people are going to start ignoring their you know their habits and their instincts and you know start mingling again so it's a yeah scary thing. Now listen, in our second half hour, um, I want to. So Aisha, some of the we enjoy um, talking about uh, the NCAA, um, FIFA, and the Olympic committees. Um, you know, and World Cup soccer. You know, uh, yeah, that's FIFA, isn't it? Yeah. So the you know it just seems that. Just like sometimes it seems that power corrupts absolutely, it seems that these agencies um, are often corrupt, you know, the choosing of the Olympics sites. Um, and I've always never felt much attachment to the NCAA. But as a woman athlete, um, what has been your reaction to the weight room and the other pictures coming out of uh, the tournaments? Um, as terrible as it sounds, I'm not surprised. Uh, I, it, it's been like this for years and just because now that, uh, it's more, I think it's, uh, I was telling us more of a microscope on it because everyone's at home, everyone's watching, everyone's online, um, because there is no way to be in person and really experience anything. So now people are really seeing like, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is crazy, but this has been crazy in this way for years. So it doesn't surprise me at all. And just in case people don't know exactly what we're talking about, and got to give a shout out to University of Oregon, Sedona Prince, who was the one who yeah. took this video. Yeah. Um, so they've got a setup for the men and for the women. The men have this gigantic locker room, uh, weight room setup that is look to be the size of a couple of full size courts. And so she benches everywhere, yeah, yeah. full equipment and, and, you know, cardio stuff Platforms, and racks, everything. Yep. Yeah. And then she showed the quote weight room set up for the women, which was you could, if it was, if this was a Saturday night live skit, it wouldn't have been any starker. It was a single rack <laughs> of dumbbells. And then 
the NCAA, after the initial complaints started to come out, said the well, the problem was, was a lack of space on the women's side. And she literally <laughs> turned and directly behind this little rack of dumbbells was an open space probably two-thirds the size of the men's space that they had all this equipment in and just nothing just 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 blank floor and blank walls and so but joe there was three yoga mats there come well, I missed, on you i know? missed the yoga mats <laughs> the yoga mats right next to the right next to the weight yeah, exactly. yeah. and is this something aisha you played at two different universities is this something and we talked about this a little bit before the show started at all but did you have did you see that difference at UMass and at Tampa between the men's, how the men's and women's programs were treated? So when it comes to um, tournament play, that's that's a little different. Um, the only time I experienced that was at University of Tampa, um, but uh, and that's a D2 school. Um, but D1-wise at UMass, so when it comes to the treatment of men's versus women's yeah there's there's a difference there uh i was definitely we had we had way more things than other women's programs had um but uh and i was grateful for those but when it comes to like watching film we talked about this before it was um it was like we would sit in a, in a room where we would have, we would just kind of gather all and watch film which is no big deal but the men's team would be able to take um, take iPads and take those back to their rooms and like watch film um, and then get, you know, keep them. Um, and we didn't have that. That's just like one small example, things like that. Um, and it's funding and everything like that too. But yeah, there's a difference. There's totally a difference and it always has been. Now I'm going to ask you a question that you may not want to answer yeah. because of your past connection with UMass, mm -hmm. but in the men's program, this Coach McCall, and I'm a season ticket holder. I sit right down there. I love, you know, I I, I watched basketball at Duke and University of Florida. Mm -hmm. I love basketball. I love live college basketball. And so I'm there rooting every year, telling everybody how good UMass men are going to be this year. And, um, and so every year that he's been here, which has been three, four, five, um, he's had massive transfer outs. And this year... It is really, really gross. So Trey Mitchell, who was the best, the highest re uh, rated recruit that UMass basically had had since the Canby days, um, is leaving after two years here. And then a real, I found it fairly shocking, Carl Pierre, the senior who was granted another year, really great long distance shooter. And he's leaving too, along with a, a bunch of other people. Do you have any opinions that you want to express about what's going on in the men's department, or do you do you just know as little as I do? Um, kind of know as little as you do. Uh, when I made that when I made that transfer, um, I kind of disconnected a little bit with UMass in general, um, and with this new coach too. Um, I was I was in the um, the Kellogg era, so um, I, I kind of know as little as you do when it comes to that. But uh, usually, mass transfer is not a good thing. Um, yeah, 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 that that's what concerned me was that you know you can understand a star player wanting something bigger for himself, but then to have this cascade of other players want to join yeah. him that's that's a year after year. Yeah, yeah. that's a problem. So that's a I culture. Actually, thing. Yeah, and I so. I want to ask you about your transfer process, like the whole portal thing. And I don't mean not to get personal of the situation, yeah. just how that the transfer process went for you. But I will say the U the UMass women actually they made it to the A10 
uh, championship this year. And so it's interesting to see. They were always, Daryl, you and I, we always did the women's uh, field trip day. We did the halftime show there. Right. Um, and, and they were always kind of a few wins, you know, and then. But they would often get waxed. Yeah. And the, um, they, the women's team has been ascending and they've been playing well and it looked like, and uh, you know, and, 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 uh, and I hate to admit this, but this is, I watched this year's UMass run in the tournament. And honestly, it's been one of the first times I've watched a woman's game from beginning to end. And I loved, loved the team, especially because they only had seven players. One player was in high school got the early entrance and was just supposed to be observing thing and still got some minutes. Um, And then another uh, tall, strong sub came in and, and she really rebounded greatly. Um, So it was neat. And then the last game, this player Breen, Sam Breen, who really is their, their best player. uh, She just had an off day. No, no shots were going. Villanova hit a few shots and got up and it it was a, it was a tough loss, but it's a very admirable game. And I think they actually played in the NIT last night. I didn't see the result, but. Um, yeah, no, they, they definitely. They were fun to watch. And they, they're, they're doing the right thing there. I mean, I, I did um, with my fourth graders last year to end the year. Uh, we did, I, I was in communication with some of the people in the UMass athletic department and we had four of the women on the team hold like a virtual Q and a with us. And that was cool. Like the fourth graders were, they asked them questions about what it's like to be a female athlete in college. It was good. So the UMass women seem to be doing the right thing and the UMass men can't seem to get it together. There's always that let's do better. Mm-hmm. Um, but so Aisha about your, how was the transfer portal? And you said this was around 2012. Yeah. 2000, 2013 about. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was in two years. Was that at that time? Were you able, like, how easy was it to transfer? So you were going from D one to D two, so probably yeah. it was a little different, also. But how was that transfer portal? So um, they kind of make it interesting too. Um, the NCAA has like a set of rules um, for transfer. Um, so if you go D one to D one, you have to sit out a year, and then you can play. Um, and then if you go D1 to D2, though, you don't have to sit out. You can play right off the bat. Um, so uh, transfer-wise, and this is like, again, this is circa 2013. Things were different. Um, coaching was different. Uh, athletic staff was different. Um, but uh, I had a lot of difficulty getting my um, items because, of course, it doesn't look good for a school um, if you have people transferring. Um, I had difficulty getting all my my things, um, cause there's certain things that it has to be a release from my team that I have to get after I notify them. I have to, they have to have a physical form that says like, Hey, she's okay to be recruited from an, to another school. Um, I had a lot of difficulty getting that, um, c- certain schools did not get that, that so I would what, wanted them to get it. What do you, what, what do you attribute that difficulty to? Is that coach Dolly not wanting you to leave the program? Is that something that I don't, I don't think it was, I don't think it was so much on coach Dolly's end. Um, I, they weren't super happy that I was leaving. Um, but I, I think it was uh, more on it. It's hard for me to, to, to say, because there's literally, it, it could, it could be so many people. There's so much in that line there. So there's no streamlined process. And I honestly think that every college should have like someone dedicated, um, in the athletic department to help with that transition, but it's not meant to be a comfortable process because they don't right. want people to go through it. Um, 
And uh, so what I noticed later on was that none of the D1 schools that I was trying to get my information to received any information on me. Um, only D2 schools did, um, which ended up being a, a blessing in disguise. I mean, I, I really enjoyed my time at University of Tampa. We made it to the Sweet 16. Like it was a great, it was a great time period, but at the same time, yeah, it's very dirty. And it's, it's, um, and it's like that way at a lot of schools, many different schools. I, a lot of uh, friends that I've had have had the same issue, but um, unfortunately it's just the way the cookie crumbles. I, I'm not, I'm usually not surprised when I hear something sleazy about the NCAA or college athletics administrations, but that's a little bit, the fact that they're so actively resistant and will mm -hmm. actually will do these things, you know, that are pretty transparent, obviously I'm sure. And I'm sure there are a million horror stories, similar horror stories from all across the country. I mean, you know, Notre Dame doesn't want to lose a football player to Michigan or Alabama. And no. you know, the, we, we see enough, transfers and don't hear any of these stories I, i'm fascinated by this we might have to have you back on just to talk about that yeah that part I, of it. I was thinking the same thing joe because I, I i feel a certain way towards professional athletes and college athletes like you i to hear that i and i'm unaware of that i was i went to springfield college i did track for one year i didn't have to worry about transferring or anything like that um and, and to hear that you could have had opportunities to play at other schools. And again, you're, it's not unique to you. That could, anybody could have been uh, totally railroaded just because I, that's, uh, that's pretty. So you would have sat out a year um, if you got into another division one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it was mandatory and I'm not sure about the NCAA rules currently, but I think it's the same. You sit out one year um, like at, at, after transfer to, to to then play so you basically train for that year and then you would be able to play what is quickly and then i will probably move on to another topic yeah. what is the thought process what is the reasoning for having to sit for the year again is that just one of those things to try to deter yes kids yeah. from wanting because to that's your prime yeah. that's your prime so like you're you're you know you're in a swing like and let's say like um like and i'm not saying like i'm i was lebron james but at the same time like let's say you have like a kid who um is like a starter you know is doing really well and he's like i just want to go to a bigger school like i just want to i just want to have a different you know i, I want to have a chance to win a championship maybe they're not seeing that there and mm -hmm. then they're like i'm going to transfer well you got to sit out a year and you're having your best basketball that you've been playing every your whole entire life like are you willing to chance that and train for a year and maybe possibly get injured and then be able to pick that up in a year from now, you got to think about that. So. You know, in, in a way too, it may be similar to the th thing that the pros deal with, with the one and done um, situation where, which hasn't improved anything. Um, you know, when a kid goes to school and basically after the first semester, doesn't even have to go to class to play his freshman year um, and then switches. It's not, you know, I think colleges want players to stay for the four years. And then you see, you know, you see Villanova, you see these senior teams, the team that beat Ohio state. They are four year players. And those, those seniors who don't look like they're that fast or at anything, bury three pointers like crazy. The ball moves around beautifully. It's uh really a nice thing to see. Yeah, oh, no but doubt. It, 
it's funny we see the 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 difference because you know the NBA's had some sort of sliding rules as to how many years you had to be out of high school, and now you know the the WNBA still has a four year rule. You basically have to be either be twenty two, have graduated, or have spent four years in college. And we, we Matt, you passed on this um this graphic that compared Sue Bird with LeBron James because they're both entering their eighteenth year in the league and the the disparity between their their compensation. And I think, you know, we, you also have to look at the additional four years that LeBron James got to earn. So Sue Bird at, at her 18th season is five years older than LeBron James is entering his 18th season. And so he has four or five more years to, to earn that she, you know, was basically robbed of by this, this disparity again, well, between the, the way we handle men's sports and the way we handle women's sports. I honestly, though, I, I do think, I don't, I think kids should go to school more. I don't like the one and done. Um, and my right, reason I is just, I, I value the education. Um, and so I, I do think if you are a scholarship athlete, whether you're going to play in the NBA, the NFL, what, if you're, you could major in professional athletics. And, and I, I think I value the degree. Um, and so I, I don't, I think it's a knock if the WNBA says you should have to graduate because I think that helps you afterwards and, and, you know, learn how to manage money, learn how to navigate through the media and, and now society. I, 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 my, my academic career was interrupted by stupidity and not an athletic career, but <laughs> I took 20 years off from college and went back and finished college at 40 and found I was a better student at 40 than I was at 20. And I'm, I'm not saying every NBA player is going to go back to school, but I think, and like Aisha said, that's your prime. That's your prime physical yeah. and yeah, Matt. I mean, somebody like Zion Williamson, he's not going to go through four years of school no. when he could be earning millions. And so, it's one fun. thing that the the pros are looking at is basically, you know, putting the having a G League team for you know for the next LeBrons uh, to play and get paid right away and and to spend that eighteen year old year. Um, of getting paid and then and not having to pretend to be a student. And right. I think that's a smart thing to do. I hope that works out. Well, that's out. the other yeah. thing, too. The, edu the education that these guys are getting is not the education that, you know, you and I would get at 18 entering entering college. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of – and that can maybe even segue into talking a little bit about Deshaun Watson. And I kind of think – I get – why a Zion Williamson and Aisha, I saw it, it, it is, it's the money. And, and look, as somebody who I never, once I hit fifth grade, I realized I'm not going to be a professional athlete, right? I had dreams. I aspired to be a professional athlete up until about then. But, um, what, what was going to be your sport? I, my parents showed me, I, I made a, uh, I wrote a story. I, I was a power forward for the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> wow. I don't wow. It, it, the title was Matt the All-Star. I was wow. uh 6'8 and I was a power forward. Well, and, and for, for those of you who can't actually see Matt's physical form, let's just say he's not 6'8. Six six yeah. No. <laughs> and I'm not a power forward. I could no. see you like hanging on one of Shaquille O'Neal's arms like as he's dunking like and your head gets dunked along with the ball. Yeah. Yeah, no. It, it, I the the, the pinnacle of my basketball career. I did make my middle school basketball team. Um, and then after that, I played rec basketball. I, I, I played football in high school and then uh, track in college. But 
<clears throat> I, you know, if, if I, I just see the importance of a, a, somebody like a Zion Williamson who, and actually he's, he sounds like, uh, you know, he's, he does all the right things. He's, he's a, 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 a good person. He did a lot for the community once COVID hit, um, you know, paying for some of the uh, workers at the, um, at the arena and things like that. But, you know, if he had a degree and, and again, if you could create some sort of program for these professional athletes, you know, to, uh, I, I said this before in a show in uh, a few weeks ago, like it, it's sad to think that we have to teach men how to treat women, but they need it. And if they could go to a class to learn some of these things, uh, Myers Leonard, Ooh. the guy for the heat, right? Right yeah. now he got suspended and the NBA is going to make him take a, um, a culture diversity class, I believe. That could have been something that they took in college. And, and Aisha, you could speak to this. The demands on a D1 athlete are incredible. So make their classes meaningful teach them how to study film, teach them how to treat people, teach them how to handle finances, make their classes meaningful to what they're going to do as a professional, graduate. So then when you become a professional athlete, you know, that's how I, that's where I would like to see things, you know? Understandable too. And I'm, I'm with you there. I think that that's, that's something that uh, is very admirable to to want to strive towards, but um, when it comes to the way the NCAA handles athletes and even the universities, it's a cash cow. Mm. It's it's not they don't care about what you major in. They don't care about what you learn. Um, it's it's probably going to sound terrible, and for some people, their experience might be different. But um, another big reason why I transferred from UMass was because I had labs at a certain period of time for my degree program. I was in biology at the time. They decided they wanted practice during those lab slots. And I said, I can't do that. And they were like, well, I think you're just gonna have to change your major. It's not about, it's not about the school aspect. It's, it's about what you're doing for them. You're, you're like, you're there for four years. I'm going to use you for your four years for athletic ability. After that, I don't care what you do. And the NCAA says like uh, all of our athletes, like 90% of our athletes major in something other than sports. That's true. Did it. Well, I say I had a, um, a tutors during that time period that normally people wouldn't have access to. Yeah. UMass totally. Um, and again, UT was a different experience, but UMass, it definitely, it shows when it comes to D1 sports that it's, it's, it's about the money. And I'm like, I'm not going to play. And I literally, I remember saying this, I'm not going to play basketball forever. I'm not going to. And when it comes to women's basketball in general, we talked about the compensation aspect. It's not enough to really make a living off of unless you are Sue Bird. And even then it's, uh, even then it's, it's minuscule compared to what men's basketball players make. Yeah. Her, so, free, her free agent contract this year is worth $230,000. I mean, yeah. there, there are NBA wow. players that make $230,000 in a quarter. Yeah. Game. Yeah. Um, Aisha, do, um, do you have thoughts on, you know, so say you're in a power five school yeah. and uh, your coach Izu is making f five million a year. Do you have any thoughts about should there be compensation for players? Oh, yes. Um, oh, good. Oh, good. So, Fire away. So actually <laughs> there was like a huge, um, there was a huge uh, uh, 
uh, court case about this, I think like a year or two ago, um, where they were talking about compensation. Actually, like I was one of the people that were involved in a settlement, but it was only for it was only for D1 schools. Um, and uh, and it was it was like it, it, it sounds stupid, but it was like for your for the two years that I had, I had people, I had friends that played four, and they got like a four thousand or six thousand dollars out of this settlement. Um, and uh, and there's so many times, especially with the NCAA and when it comes to the schools. And again, it's the money aspect um, where your image is used, your likeness is used, and and it gets hammered into your head, like as a as a college athlete, like if you if someone if a company uses your image or your likeness to to make money or advertise and you get money back from it you are automatically disqualified as a as a um college basketball or college athlete um you you will be like kicked out basically and then you have to do professional stuff if you want to do anything um there are so many rules and regulations for that but for the ncaa they do that consistently they make, yeah yeah consistently they use people's faces um they use you playing and like you think of it like as a this is this is this is an accomplishment like you're like at, at the time you're like yeah the NCAA is using my image that's that's amazing that's you know like that's a pretty big feat but when you look when you take a step back and you look at it like they're using that and they're getting a lot of money off they're making of it. a lot of money off that and I'm not seeing any of that and they're saying well we're paying for your school we're paying for this for this degree for you that's enough um I'm I, I'm I'm on the other side that that's not really enough, especially with how much these kids work. I mean, it, it, I'm I can only attest to my experience. It was like five hours a day plus full time school at minimum. Um, they work for that, and it's it's hard. It's not easy. Um, but uh, and it, and then it gets to like, well, how much? And then then it gets a little bit. I uh, know things things are tricky. Yeah. But um, now, do you still uh, play basketball for fun? Uh, I do every once in a while, uh, but not yeah, right. um, not not regularly. Not regularly. No. Uh, I need I want I need to find I need to find a team though because I I miss I I, I love that sport. It's uh, do, yeah, do it yeah. while you can because once you hit about forty, all of a sudden all the things. <laughs> be able to do with your body you can't do anymore and honestly i'm, I'm, I'm gonna be 50 next week actually and oh, i can't and it's the idea of playing competitive basketball and trying to run up and down a court right now just it's unfathomable you're like no but no but wait a minute it's um it's actually there's these senior games and so i was actually uh, i had a really good team a, a 60 plus team had players from boston or, and connecticut and, and from other some other places and uh <clears throat> excuse me i was able to guard successfully almost every big guy and i had some big guys on the team who just wanted to shoot three pointers which was fine it was a half court game with a three-point line and um and it, they had national tournaments it was great and then just this is a side story. Went to the orthopedic because I was having knee pain. The guy said, you're through with impact sports. <laughs> well, and I stopped immediately. Fortunately, I've since gone back to physical therapy and just realized that I have to do exercises every day and I can still play. So I'm on my way back Done. and I'm going to be back on the court. Now, gr granted, Joe, 
to watch a bunch of 90 year old guys run around or women, you know, and, and, and shoot at the basket. It's, it's, it's fairly amusing, but um, for the players, they love it and they are competitive. And, you know, I, the thing I love about basketball is you fight, you fight, you fight, you lose, you shake hands with the other person. Nice game. Let's go again. Yep. You know, and it's, it's just, it's, it, so you get your competitive juices out without beating up people or insulting. Well, was that a problem for you? Were you beating people up? <laughs> just at random. No, I, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed the old man leagues. I played in a couple of 40 and over baseball leagues. And it's kind of funny at, at, you know, I was always the fat, slow guy. And all of a sudden at 42, I was the young, fast, spry <laughs> guy on this baseball team. They give me steel signs. I'm like, what? I don't, I don't, I've never seen that before. <laughs> what, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to run now? I don't, I don't know quite what's going yeah, but on. You, but... joke about, you joke about these old man leagues. Mm -hmm. I have a, a first grader. Uh, I'm a PE teacher, and I have a first grader who earns um, time with me in the gym. It's, like, it's one of his incentives, and he likes to play basketball. So <laughs> two days ago, he earns basketball with me, and <laughs> – 10 minutes later, I'm like, all right, next point wins because I'm hurting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, these first graders, they get me. Well, I, I want to talk uh, about the Deshaun Watson thing, but d just really quickly, we, we all have these sort of strategies for how the the way college athletics should work. And I think the four of us all agree that we're trying to to make changes that are best for the athletes and best for their education. I think a big part of it is that, you know, Matt, the changes you suggest about centering for these certain athletes centering their education around their professional career is great, but there's such a, a minuscule number of these players that are going to have a professional career, not just because like Aisha said on the women's side, the compensation doesn't make it worth it for you to do that. But even you look at all these players in the NCAA tournament, there's only going to be, 60 draft picks and maybe another 30 free agent signings. So we've got these th literally thousands of players and, you know, 90 of them are going to have pro careers and 12 well, of them are going to have significant pro careers. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. And, but imagine like if, if that was your, like Aisha, I give you a lot of credit. That's very admirable. You knew what you wanted and, and basketball wasn't it when like in the big yeah. future. So change your major or play basketball, I, I, you know, but if, if within the scope of professional sports, you learn journalism and, you know, you learn broadcasting. And so you could have somebody who was a, a high level uh, collegiate athlete who didn't make professional, but could speak to playing professionally or speak to, you know, and you had more of these voices out there, uh, talking about some of these NCAA issues. I mean, it's, it's almost, maybe they don't, maybe they don't want that. Um, because I mean, Aisha, you brought up some points I'm not privy to, and I'm like, Oh, that's just bad. You know? And I, I, I think personally, um, I, I would like to see college athletes compensated for their likelihood. I think there's no reason why if, if your face is on a banner and helping to make a college or an institution money, why you don't see any of that. I think that absolutely should be going to the uh, to athletes. But, you know, I, I think there's a mess of if you're actually paying them, like uh, everybody gets a paycheck, who gets what, you know, does, um, does a Zion Williamson get the same money as, you know, Matt Baker, you know, and, and so that can get tricky. But if your likeliness is used, that absolutely, that should be going, 90% should be going to the player, in my opinion. 
Um, but let's get on to a, a different topic, Joe. Go ahead. <laughs> well, and this is this is this got got more disturbing as we learn more about it. So early in the week, um, this guy Tony Busby, who we could spend three hours just talking about this guy, the lawyer that's representing these women, filed, and now I think there's seven lawsuits, civil lawsuits filed against Deshaun Watson for, and they're all they, all these women have the same story that he hired them to do a massage, and then it became very clear that he wanted more than just a, a massage. And I've got, uh, throughout my life, have have had friends and girlfriends who were f- formerly massage therapists or currently massage therapists, and this happens to them all the time. And this is one of the, this is so disgusting. You can't imagine going into a doctor's office and asking a doctor to perform a sexual favor on you. But there's something about this, and it is a a, a magnet for creepy men. And apparently, he tried to solicit sex from at least seven massage therapists. Which, you know, if you hear one or two stories that are similar, you could say, "Well, this lawyer's kind of a kook. Maybe, maybe there's this. Maybe there's that." But these are seven really consistent stories, and so it's. You know, I I don't even see the. I'm sorry. Are you talking about Andrew Cuomo? <laughs> That's a, a whole different different matter, which we can say for the plus plus. <laughs> right, right, right. But for, um, for those of you so, listening on air, get this pod the week of this week's podcast because I'm sure we're going to talk about this a great deal more once right. our time is up. But but this is. But you know, the thing is, if you did trade for Deshaun Watson, you would have to give up a boatload. And so there's only a few teams that would even consider it. And is this now affecting his marketability? This is playing. This is affecting his playability. I mean, right now the league. You well, know, if he stays, with, oh, I see. You mean he might get he, suspended? I mean, I don't look. I, I um, like Joe. You said this gets wackier and wackier every day. Um, the the NFL now is is said they're going to do their own investigation um, and, and look into this matter. Um, but I can't see if these accusations are, are true, how he continues to play next year at least. I'm- wait a minute. Wait a minute. Ray Rice knocks a woman out in an elevator and gets a two game penalty. No, no so he, he was out. He, Ray, it Ray was more, well, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. No, I mean, but originally that was the way they originally ruled. They gave him a two-game penalty, right? But he's, he's before he, the he's rightfully started. out of the league now. You know, yeah, and, and right, no, right, I right. this is interesting. I I don't know. I mean, honestly, like you said, Matt, two weeks ago, the price for Deshaun Watson was going to be three first-round picks and a starter. You know, right. maybe a quarterback. Now, you know, he's in this sort of gray area. There's these investigations. If the season started tomorrow, he would be playing. He would be starting for for Houston. So I think, you know, there's got to be a temptation from some of these GMs to offer a first and a second for him at this point, because you know the risk that you take, you know, and we'll see whatever happens to Deshaun Watson if he gets suspended for a year or three years or whatever. When his suspension is up is up, there will be a line of teams looking to make him an offer. Look at what happened with Michael Vick, you know, with all the, the abhorrent things he did. And, you know, he was essentially welcomed back into the league and had, I'm sure had more than one team that was willing to give up assets to acquire him. So I, it would be a really interesting thing to see how this plays out because I can't, I, I can't see him escaping 
some sort of consequence for this because this is this is not you don't you don't have seven people with the same story and have there not mm-hmm. be something behind it. So let's. Well, well uh, I, I know. We're, wait a minute. I just want to mention one thing. Um, in, in, so the Patriots buying spree. I'm sorry we didn't get to chant, talk about it this this uh, week. We'll have to do it next week. But uh, the Patriots are back. That's all I want to say. Well, and doing exactly <laughs> what I said by picking up these kind of middle to high range players, not going for the the top of the top, and that's where I trust Belichick the most. But He's I, a bad yeah. Gym. <laughs> Yeah, Aisha, any, any Deshaun Watson thoughts? Um, I think we're in a very interesting time period um, when it comes to like uh, just uh, not not necessarily revolution. I want to say, but just like uh, how we view certain things. So I think during the Michael Vick period of time, the Rice period of time, where we're just um, kind of letting things shove under the rug, I don't think it's being allowed as much as it was in the past. So I think that's going to, it's going to be interesting to see how this definitely plays out. Um, But I do not think it's going to play out well for him. Um, And because there's so much talent that comes from every single side, every single day, I don't think it would be hard to phase him out. Uh, People think they're invincible when it comes to being a professional athlete in a high level like that. Um, There's people that can replace their younger, better, faster, stronger. Um, So I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if we just did not, he just slowly faded into the background, especially after all this, but we'll see. Let's hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I have a question for you guys. We'll, we'll do it on the podcast end of this. So um, we're almost up on time, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks an awful lot for listening. This is, let's see if I get the name right. This is the Sports Plus Show with Baker, Big D, and Joe, and special guest Aisha. And uh, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, Aisha, it's been a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope you come back. And uh, and I hope that uh, things continue to go well in Florida. I'm a little worried. I lived in Gainesville for a long time, and I love Florida. But um, I'm scared for them. Yeah, me as well. See you next week. Thanks, everybody. So does the fact, with going back to Deshaun Watson, does the fact that these are civil suits impact anything? Like, so as of now, and I, I, as of now, uh, nothing has been criminal. So do we think that the NFL being as reactionary as it usually is will look at this differently because they're just civil. Um, They'll get settled. And then what? That's a damn good question, Matt. That is a really good question. Um, I, I think definitely there would be a little, if it was more criminal, if there was, if there was some criminal, um, a criminal aspect to this, which it's a shame that there isn't, that this is just civil, Mm -hmm. which it's like, how could it just be civil? But um I think if, if there was a criminal aspect to it, yeah, it would definitely be a totally different ball game. Um, but when it comes to the, the, every, all the accusations, um, it's just sad. Like, it's just, it's just really sad because. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, I just keep going back to it, it. It's not an excuse, but I see, and I don't know Deshaun Watson, right? And and I, I, so, and I try not to make too much of a judgment until we see the facts and and right. you know see how things play out. But you know, let's just say he's he's been at, at high school. He 
was the best athlete at his high school. He went down to Clemson. He's, you know, the starting quarterback for Clemson. They win a national championship. And you, you mentioned it like that sort of sense of entitlement that these athletes have. And it let's say like the, the allegations are he, he flies these strangers, which is weird to begin with why you wouldn't vet somebody or know somebody to hire them to give you a massage anyway. Well, that's the point too. If he wants to hire a sex worker, he can hire a sex worker. He's Deshaun fucking Watson. He has access. He's got millions of dollars in access to why, why this is, this is, there's, there's a a different, there's more pathology going on here than a guy just wanting to get his dick sucked. There's there's some sort of, it's a power thing. It's a Mm -hmm. coercion thing. And some of these stories, I'm not, I'm not 100% positive. We won't see criminal charges charges out of some of these stories. There's a couple where he apparently forced oral force a woman to perform oral sex Mm -hmm. on him. I mean, as of now, everything is, has been so, cause I agree with you, Joe, but you know, I just, I don't, no matter what, Deshaun Watson is going to have, there'll be consequences. There'll be some ramifications for this, but I just see it as we're continuing to put the bandaid on. I, I just wish there was more that could be done for these professional athletes when they. Now, when what they do you think of Cuomo? Cuomo's not going to, not going to step down. Um, I think, I don't know when his election is that he won't get elected again. I don't think, but he, I don't think he's going to step down. I don't think that, I mean, that, that's not good. It, you know, it, if it, that we can get really political. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's bothersome. And, and unfortunately, I think the NFL is, is very reactionary. So they're going to wait to see. And if, if there aren't criminal charges, I don't, I think the NFL might do very little maybe a few game suspension. Um, you know, I can't, I don't see the NFL acting too harshly unless there are criminal charges. I have feelings about the NFL too, just with any, any sort of, any sort of opposition they are. Um, it, it, it's definitely picking and choosing what they want to, um, what they want to act on as well. So it's just, there's no, it's, it's, it's all about fan base and, um, what they feel like they can just take the hit on and um, just keep it pushing or if it's too much, I don't know. Aisha, I I didn't get to work this story in, but um, I graduated from Gloucester high school in 1967. Mm -hmm. In 1967 women's basketball, the, the uh, defender couldn't run past half court. Did not know that. I, I, you know, I think they still had those same rules that it was just, and there were two players on each team that couldn't cross. Yeah. Something like that. There was, yeah. And they, you know, wore skirts and then it was in this, um, there was this, well, women, you know, they just physiologically uh, can't handle this, you know, uh, exertion or whatever. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask you about was um, women's knee injuries. Are there way more women's knee injuries than men's in basketball? Um, so statistically wise, I haven't looked at the statistics when it came to women's and men's, but um, just experience wise. Yeah. Um, it seems it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I even had a knee injury. I, I might, I had one at Tampa, I tore my meniscus. Um, but thank God, not an ACL or a PCL injury. 
But is there, do you, do you understand the anatomy? Is there a different um, knee action for male and female? No, I, I think, it, I think mostly the origin, it comes from, it comes from the hips. Um, so, uh, and that there's, different, uh, there's a different okay. size orientation with that. Um, and different like, um, physiological factors that pop in there too. Um, but that's why they, they focus so much on training the, the lower body, um, to support. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, I, there's been plenty of times where I've had friends that have literally just did a jump stop and then all of a sudden their knee is just gone. <sighs> No, and I think that also has a, a lot to do with the the, the um, recovery and uh, prevention aspects of it too. Because I can tell you, I I had my knee drained a couple of times and then kept playing the next day. And when it, you're supposed to sit out for two weeks or whatever, um, and that's again another thing too. That's just as bad as men's sports too. The cortisone injections and all that. John. Playing through pain. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, just, and, and the the treatment that's available too to the man, I'm yeah. sure, is far advanced to to what is available for most women and at most schools. Yeah. And again, it's 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 easy to make these generalizations because you know. Yeah, you, exactly. You see I it happen for every school, but but we know it's happening at every school. Yeah. And just quickly back to the Deshaun Watson thing, I think sadly still a lot of how these athletes are dealt with by the leagues and by even public opinion has to do with how, how good a player they are. And if this was, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, the first name that popped into my head for a mediocre quarterback was Vince Ferragamo, which I think Daryl's probably the only one who knows who Vince Ferragamo is. Well, well at least it wasn't Tom Brady. Well, let's let's go with James. Let's go with James. <laughs> Joe Joe feels that Tom Brady is a, a, a definitely overpromoted uh, phony. Well, let's let's there. go with Jameis Winston. Let's say if this were Jameis Winston, would he be well, would he be granted the same deference that Deshaun Watson is getting? Interesting. Speaking of Jameis Winston, though, there were allegations of him at Florida State. Remember that, yeah, yeah. and and he still was the number one pick overall. You yeah. know, Florida um, State we, was, we, we was about um, the money talks, and um, you know, it, it's hard. I don't want to say something that makes me sound um, insensitive to any situation, but okay. you know, I, we have to be, we have to let the facts play out. Unfortunately, sometimes when it comes to the NFL and some of these corporations, if, when the money talks, the facts are hidden, and. Um, you know, so I, I'm not one to say, you know, a Deshaun Watson or a Jameis Winston should never play football again. Uh, on, if, if these allegations on Deshaun Watson are all true, I, he doesn't, in my opinion, I don't think, you know, he, he needs to find something else to do for his career, but, um, eh, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it, the money will talk. I mean, but how, honestly, let's let's say all these allegations are true. He goes through whatever punishment the NFL he's going to have a career when that punishment's over, right? Are, are we all in agreement on that? I mean, ugh, but it's, it's true, right? Unfortunately, yeah. yeah, he still probably will. I mean, something like this. I'm trying to think right now. Has it? This is pretty unprecedented, right? I mean, I can't recall this exact scenario happening. I mean, there have been plenty of sexual assault, you know, violators who have continued to play in the league. So how does I'm, I'm my memory? I don't remember. How does this or does this have any parallels with Robert Kraft? 
Robert Kraft was going to a massage parlor. Um, oh, that was uh, um, sex trafficked women, correct? Is that what right. that was? And, and I think uh, the, the issue with Robert Kraft was that the facility was used as a house. Women. It, it existed as a house of prostitution where he was soliciting legitimate massage therapists for sexual favors. And then in a couple of these cases, you know, going as far as to commit an assault on, on them, you know, forcibly perform some sexual acts on them or with them. Why was his case dropped? Craft? The- Money. Yeah. Money. Is, is that the answer to all the questions? Again, I mean, again, again, here we could talk about the difference between, and again, the, there may be criminal charges filed eventually against Deshaun Watson. We could talk about the way, the difference between the privileges a 70-year-old white billionaire has versus the privileges a, you know, even a privileged athlete has, but a, a, for a, a young black man. And, you know, how how differently the criminal justice system will treat them. And, and again, I think the, the, the rich people, the, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson's treatment by the justice system is going to be closer to Robert Kraft's than it would be for you or I, but he's also, I, I think we'll see, we'll see a difference there. And I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm curious to see how this is going to shake out. That's why I was asking if there, anything like this has ever happened. I mean, Michael Vick, he, as far as I was concerned, Michael Vick paid his debt to society, right? He, he. Spent, I, I agree. I agree. I think back, he came back. You know, I, I, I had no problem he admitted, with Michael. Vick. He admitted that he had mistreated dogs. I had, and, I had no know. problem with Michael Vick coming back to the league. If, yeah. if teams were willing to, to sign him. I mean, he, he, the punishment, he, he fulfilled his debt to society with this, this, this Deshaun Watson, again, because there's no criminal charges as of now, and it's just civil, I would imagine that's one way or another, there's going to be money going back and forth. And then, you know, is his name kind of cleared, but, Publicly, I don't know if a team would be willing to sign him. There are 44 NFL players, according to this Vice article from 2015, 44 players, NFL players who've been accused of sexual or physical assault. These are these were current NFL players in 2015, including some names that we've spoken about. Ben Roethlisberger, CJ Stillman, Jameis Winston, um, John Jerry. Julian Edelman is on here accused of touching a woman inappropriately. So maybe we could do a little more research on this because that seems just at, at first glance seems like, you know, a comparable, you know, this this isn't a Ray McDonald case. This isn't a a frosty Rucker case. No, it sounds more like an Al Franken, Um, (laughs) but you know, and we didn't, we didn't uh, mention um, Julian Edelman's reaching out to Myers Leonard. And, uh, you know, and trying to explain uh, some facts of life to him. I, th- I thought that was a classy thing for him to do. Yeah, well, I think and we, we rightfully hammered Myers Leonard and he's he's lost his career. I mean, he got traded, but the the team he got traded to is going to release him. So, you know, I think it, it was sort of a cap thing and neither player is going to play for the new team. So, 
you know, he's he's seen an immediate consequence. But again, it, it seems a little disturbing to me that we will end the career of a marginal player who makes an anti-Semitic slur, but we won't can't even suspend a player who's been, in my opinion, very credibly accused of some horrific things. You know, I, I there's no way that Deshaun Watson should still be entertaining the possibility that he's going to play this year, whether or not. And that's the other thing, too, like like Matt and Aisha pointed out before, if there's a settlement here, we don't ever find out the details of what actually happened. And if they, these and if the if this Busby lawyer negotiates it, even if it's millions and millions of dollars, the same thing we saw. And we talked about this a little bit last week with the Kobe Bryant case that people here settled out of court and they it's just all of a sudden the the transgression is forgotten and the this like the whole thing never happened and that's you know i i fear that we're close to that with this where he pays these women 10 million dollars each and he plays this season oh, uh, yeah i mean unfortunately that probably right is is what's gonna happen yeah. Um, I didn't realize uh, Myers Leonard. I never heard of that guy prior to. That. He was a, he's a big center. Yeah, he's a, he's a ninth ninth tenth man on the roster. He was with the Blazers yeah. before this year, last year. Um, you know, yeah. he's hey, the Blazers are good. You, let me ask you guys a question. The Blazers are good, and the Celtics year. are not. <laughs> the Blazers are good, and the Celtics are and not. The Blazers oh. just got McCollum back. They're, I think they're going to end up with Lamar, getting Lamarcus Aldridge back too. So they they are they are a player away from being able to challenge Utah and the Lakers for the Western for the Western Conference. Portland, yeah, yeah. They're playing good this year. Yeah. The sad thing for me is um, Kemba Walker. Just he's such a, a wonderful talent. He's such a wonderful human being, and he just appears to have kind of lost uh, a little bit of his explosiveness. And he has like one good game out of four, whereas he used to be tremendously consistent. And so the Celtics really need another consistent scorer. And Kemba is just not doing who, it this who year. Who are you so. for, Aisha? Are you a Pistons fan? I'm um I'm impartial. I'm. It's just going to sound very, uh, what's it called? Uh, how, how do I say this? It sounds, it sounds, uh, like elitist almost, but I, I'm not a big fan of professional sports. Like I'll, I'll watch them every once in a while. Including the WNBA? Um, so I have a little soft spot for the WNBA, but, uh, um, uh, but again, I don't have a team. I kind of just, I kind of just watch to enjoy it and I'll do the same thing with professional sports, but I'm way more of an NCAA, like college athlete, like, cause you just see the drive in them and it yeah. shows them it shows in their game and the really only time shoot when was it circa like oh i think it was like four six years ago maybe even longer than that my brain when it comes to timeline yeah you know? but like the spurs beautiful basketball like that that's yeah. just that that core time for them was just like beautiful team oriented <laughs> basketball the yeah. pros now is just like it's a one-on-one show like well, you know who doesn't play like that? Jay Harden, right? No, they, he's so awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but no, but but Utah, Utah is unbelievable. They have seven players, and other than Donovan Mitchell, none of them are really a star. Mm-hmm. But their team, as a team, they're brilliant, and they just 
they're, they, they just really share the ball and everybody can shoot and, and they, and they hit clutch shots. They're, they're fun to watch. I, 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 they, yeah, no, they're the they're the team to watch. Yeah, I think the Celtics still play that way. I think Golden State and the other team. Somebody mentioned Zion Williamson earlier. They they played the Blazers. You know, they're playing these back to back. So I got to watch him twice in a row. Man, that that's another team that sort He's of. But that's another team He's that if I were making wagers based on three years out, put some money behind the Pelicans because if they can keep that core together, um, Lonzo Ball and. Uh, Williamson and um, I forget who who's the other guy they got from the Lakers. Um, Ingram. Ingram, Ingram, yeah. If they can keep those three together, that's three, four, five years out. They could, they they sort of remind me of where the Celtics were two years ago, where I can see yeah. them growing. Hopefully they'll they'll grow a little better th- together than the Celtics. Hey, I gotta I gotta get going soon, but Daryl, I want to throw something out to you with the Celtics, and then make a UMass connection here. Yeah, yeah. Brad Stevens, after another failed year, gets fired from the Celtics. <laughs> And and uh, fills the UMass vacancy <laughs> after. Memphis. No, no, he, no, he go back to Indiana. He, what do you think? No, he'll go back to. He'll, Indiana. he'll have an NBA the, job the next day if he gets fired. Yeah, and and, and they're, they're, they're not going to fire him. He's not the problem. The Celtics have um, three trade exemptions. One of them is which is real big. So their activity will be in the summer, and they may. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And the, this twenty-eight and a half million trade exemption allows them to bring in like a Harrison Barnes or somebody with a lot of talent, who they and they don't have to give players back. They just have to give draft picks. So I think that you, next year you'll see a, an improved team. <laughs> there's, there's gonna, there's, That's what I say about UMass every year too. So. It's, it's going to be a, a, a mad off-season week in both the N- NBA, the trade deadline coming up, and in the NFL, all the free agency signings and and all the, yeah. that shuffling. So it's going to be there's going to be a, a a lot of NBA t- teams are going to look different when we talk next week. Yeah, and Matt, I think I'll get the uh, business worked out with the school where they'll they'll end up paying me. Yeah, but we'll you know, see. I, um, I don't know why you couldn't take sick time. Like, I don't know either. I, it's, you know, because of that. That's what the superintendent told me I had to do. Yeah. Oh, Aisha, thanks for putting up with Amateur Hour. Oh, my gosh, no, I appreciate it. This was really fun. I um, it, it, it was great having you. Yeah, yeah thanks, Aisha. This, this is definitely the longest gap I've had between having one person on my show and having them back on my show. Because, I mean, we you did Sportsline. It was 2012, probably. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. At MUA? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you.